0: Hi, this is John Curry. Welcome again to another episode of our Secure Retirement Podcast. Today, I'm sitting across the table from a guy I've known a long time and we're both grinning at each other here. Uh, today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Dr. Larry Kubiak. Uh, he's a Ph.D. He's Director of Psychological Services at the Behavioral Health Center at Thailand's Memorial Healthcare. Did I say that right? Yes, you did. Very, Very good, good job. John. Well, Larry, thank you for being here. This is going to be an exciting interview today, folks. Uh, while we were having lunch, getting ready, we were talking about some of the topics. And Larry, I have to tell you, I'm impressed that you took time to think through some of the issues that people who were getting close to retirement or are in retirement are facing. So I know you have a wealth of information. So thank you for being here. Certainly. My pleasure, John. Let's start off by you just kind of sharing with our audience what you do. Uh, how you go about the process, just tell them who you are, a okay. uh, little bit about your background, and, okay. but, but also make sure you tell them that you're a Rotarian and past president <laughs> of your club. So jump in.
1: <clears throat> okay. Well, um, I have my doctorate in counseling psychology from the University of Florida and I have been uh, a professional in the field for 42 years. I have been the director of psychological services at Tallahassee Memorial Behavioral Health Center for the last 27 years. I specialize there in psychological and neuropsychological uh, testing. Um, When people come into the hospital, uh, it used to be that they were there for up to three weeks, and now it's about three days. So one of the implications of that, it is very critical to have the most accurate diagnosis so that they can get the most appropriate treatment. And psychological testing is a very important component in helping to identify what's really going on as quickly as possible so that they're put on the right medication, that they're involved in the right therapy uh, from the very outset. So that when they go back to their home community, that they're getting, uh, they've gotten started off on the right foot and that can be continued. I have a lot of doctoral students from Florida State that do placements with me to help learn uh, how to do this kind of thing uh... we help make decisions about our people suffering from bipolar disorder post-traumatic stress disorder uh... dementia alzheimer's all kinds of things because those have very important implications in people's lives and so we work with the psychiatrist and the rest of the treatment team to uh... uh... to help make sure that people get the ro- the, the most appropriate treatment they possibly can um, also very involved with boy scouts uh, john and i have some ties through that Uh, I was a scoutmaster, had 12 uh, young men become Eagle Scout while I was serving in that capacity. Um, I'm currently on the National Health and Safety Committee for uh, Boy Scouts. I'm the chair of the Mental Health Subcommittee. I'll be on staff and have a major role at the World Jamboree uh, this next year. Uh, John mentioned uh, Rotary. Um, I was the uh, president of the Tallahassee Rotary Club, which is the largest club in our 50 uh, club district in uh, 6940 here in North Florida. I currently serve as assistant district governor, and um, will be interviewed in October for the possibility of serving as district governor on down the road. So we'll, uh, well see how see how that goes. You'd make a great one. <laughs> I hope
0: that happens. <laughs> People listening to this might be asking the question, why in the world is John Curry interviewing a psychologist based on what they just heard? And we were talking earlier over lunch that it's not just about having money. Over the years, 43 years I've been doing this, we try to give good information to help people make better decisions. not just about money, but about life.
1: Well, and John, one of the things that has always impressed me about you is certainly you do an outstanding job helping people be as financially secure as they possibly can be. And unfortunately, many of your colleagues, that may be as far as they go. But you have always impressed me as being someone who goes beyond that and wants to look at the total person. What can we do to help their total experience uh, in retirement be as positive as possible? And so to me, it's certainly very natural that you would ask me, a psychologist, because we know that... um, Just being financially secure doesn't mean you're going to have the kind of retirement that you want to have. If you haven't prepared emotionally and psychologically, then you're probably going to be missing out. You have got to have a reason for getting up in the morning. Uh, And especially for us guys, uh, maybe sometimes women too, especially for us guys, a lot of who we are, a lot of our self-worth, a lot of our social connections are tied to work. When you and say it, the probably the majority, well, exactly, the majority. exactly, yeah, exactly, because a lot of guys haven't made those social connections through things like Rotary or Boy Scouts or the church and so on, and they've relied so much on on their job or their family, uh, and so when they retire, they go from having all of those needs met by their job all of a sudden to retiring. And, uh, and not having those needs met anymore. And unless they have adequately prepared, and just as you must prepare financially, you really need to prepare emotionally. Um, and what is going to give you satisfaction? What's going to make you feel fulfilled in retirement? Now, is that going to be playing golf every single day of your retirement? Well, that might be okay for the first month, but I think this, you're probably going to get tired of that after a while. Let me jump in on that one. Please.
0: I had the pleasure a few years back, haven't played in two years because of shoulder problems, of getting to play golf five days in a row. Mm-hmm. And I discovered very quickly that I would not be able to retire and <laughs> play golf every day. I didn't like it. That's sure. tough. I was yeah. worn out. I don't, I don't can't even imagine how these yeah. pro players do that the way they do it. Well, for they're five, paid pretty well for it. <laughs> well, they, well, they are, but uh, some of them are anyway. Yeah, well, so, <laughs> some, are, some
1: are. So, um, yeah, I mean, if, if that is what gives you, um, and that's fine to do that. And it's fine to travel. I know a lot of people want to travel and so on. And that's fine too. You've got to continue to learn. You've got to continue to grow. And when we stop learning and growing, when we stop feel like we're contributing to life, then um, that's when we start to die. And um, I think there are a lot of ways that people can deal with that. Now, some people, uh, unfortunately, for financial reasons, they may be forced to continue to work. But if you're in a position where you can continue to work because you really enjoy working, and there's a a term that we refer to as psychic income, that... uh, if you're fortunate enough to be in a position where you work not just for the paycheck but because of the satisfaction that you get for working in something that contributes to people's welfare um... Uh, then you get some benefit from that that is uh... you just can't put a price tag on and so it's just very important um, sometimes people can continue to work maybe in that same field sometimes they may have uh, had another kind of line of work that they might want to uh, uh, pursue um, a good friend of my wife she was a psychologist and found that she really liked doing craft things mm-hmm. and she has completely switched from that major career to to something else because she found that she got more enjoyment out of that so whatever that is for you find that pursue that and, and it will go a long way toward helping you be more psychologically healthy and get more out of your retirement.
0: All right. Let's help the people that are listening to this from the standpoint of saying, okay, that's great, but how do I do that? So let's talk about, let's start with someone, let's say in their 50s, pre-retirement. Mm-hmm. So maybe they're 55, or mm-hmm. 60 years old. So what advice would you offer them as far as beginning to start seeking out things so they have a purpose beyond work? So, what are some of the things you would suggest? I I know what I've told people to do, do but Mm -hmm. explore things today, experiment, see if you like it.
1: Well, what do you think? You know, I think it's important for people to try a variety of things and really begin to identify where their passion is. Um, I know for me, I really uh, enjoy being involved with Boy Scouts. I, I uh, really enjoy being involved with Rotary because of the multiple ways that we can give back. And what's very unique to me about Rotary is that I have some unique um, skills as a psychologist that allows me to continue to give back through, through that. Now, so for some people, it might be church. So So what I'm saying is... Don't just sit around watching television all day. I think you were saying earlier John that you you had to do that for a while and you'd realize that sitting around watching television all day would not be what you would want how you would want to spend your retirement. That would not be a happy retirement for me. Exactly exactly. So get away from that. Get out there uh, try giving back, try getting involved um, Ollie, uh, you know, the Florida State, the, uh, the classes, use that as an opportunity to continue to expand yourself to see if there's a real passion for you. You have, um, you've probably gained a lot of experience in whatever you do. Maybe you could be a teacher. Maybe you could do seminars. Um, um, uh, learn a new skill, learn a language, um, whatever that might be. All good advice. Yeah. All good. Uh, part of it comes down to
0: just taking the time to discover for yourself what you enjoy doing. Exactly. I, I'm afraid that many people, I think most of us, frankly, I know I'm guilty of it at times too, of just getting in this routine where you get up and you do this, you do this, you do this. But my experience has been clients, my oldest client's 101. Mm-hmm. Clients that are in their late 90s, late 80s, the ones that seem to be the happiest mm-hmm. are the ones who they've taken care of their financial issues. Sure. So the bills are paid. Not where right. They're Where they paying their bills. Mm-hmm. But they're not sitting home doing nothing. Right. They are socially involved. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of a guy right now that had the pleasure, well, I'll just call his name Dr. Charles Nam. Uh, I had the pleasure of being his guardian on one of the honor flights. Mm-hmm. Oh, and yeah, Wonderful. Charlie's in his 90s. He's still going strong. Mm-hmm. And um, we're constantly sharing ideas back and forth. And every mm-hmm. time I'm around him, I'm, I have to remind myself that he's in his 90s mm-hmm. because he's got so much energy. Yeah. And he feels like I, I, I want to explore more, mm-hmm. so now he's acting.
1: Well, you want to <clears throat> you want to continually be curious about life. You always want to keep learning and growing, and and, and so identify what engages that curiosity. You know, kids are very curious. I've got three grandkids. And, you know, we go for a walk in the woods, and everything is just exciting. Everything right. is new, and there's something to learn about. And, you know, we kind of get away from that as we get older. So so try to get back to that, to what really engages your curiosity, whether it be about yourself or relationships or giving back in a certain way. So identify that passion, that enthusiasm, that um uh, those kinds of things that, that really give you meaning in life and pursue those. And, and they're not going to come to you. Uh, you're not going to get them from watching television. So force <laughs> yourself to get out there. Uh, maybe your spouse has to force you. Maybe a friend invites you to a, a, a rotary meeting or Kiwanis or Lions or something like that. Give it a chance see see what you think get out of your comfort zone yeah exactly try something new talk
0: a little bit about uh, because I know you experience this in your counseling you Mm -hmm, have to mm -hmm. where one person one spouse feels like well I can't do anything I can't go do A because my spouse doesn't like A and I have to please him or her because they they always get their way
1: well you you know that's well and that's I think that's a very um, I think that's a very important point and and Uh, you know, when we, when we made those marriage vows, they didn't say that we have to enjoy everything (laughs) together. We must spend all of our time together. Um, I guarantee you, my wife has some interests that I don't have. I have some interests she doesn't have. She loves to go to yard sales on Saturday. That would drive me nuts. I have no interest in going to yard so, so she can go. <laughs> I like to, on a Saturday morning, I might like to go for a hike in the woods. I'll go by myself. I'll go with my daughter, but my wife doesn't go with me. Um, uh, my wife loves to go to plays in New York with our daughter. That's okay. We don't have to do, give yourself permission to not have to do everything together. Right. And, and in fact, that will. That can, in many respects, make your relationship even better. Um, if one of you goes out and and does some things, and the other one goes out and does some different things, then you've got so many more things to talk about than if you always did exactly the same things. I mean, I I I don't mind, and I really enjoy hearing what kind of amazing bargains she got at a yard sale. And uh, so you just don't want to be there in the process. Well, that's that's right. That's right. It would be very boring to me. But but so give yourself permission to um, spend time away from each other and don't feel like it's going to detract from the relationship, it actually will enhance the relationship.
0: Let's circle back on something you said earlier about uh, particularly men. Mm-hmm. So much of their self-worth is right. wrapped up in their careers. <clears throat> I'm
1: seeing more and
0: more of that with women now that are in mm-hmm. the professional fields yeah. where they have similar situations are you seeing that or window well window certainly
1: certainly and at the risk of sounding sexist and uh, I would apologize if it comes across this way but in my professional experience generally speaking women do a much better job of forming relationships um, friendships with other women. Um, talking with them about their feelings and so on. You know, us guys, oh, we don't want to talk about our feelings. You know, we're the strong, silent type like John Wayne, so it's not okay to talk about your feelings. But that's probably why women live longer than we do, uh, because they've learned how to do that. And, uh, you know, we were talking earlier about, well, what happens if a couple's been married for 50 years? And if the husband dies first, how long will the wife live? Well, she probably live a long time because she's got all kinds of social support. <clears throat> if it's me. the other way around, a lot of times that guy will die fairly quickly unless he has taken proactive steps to develop social relationships, to get involved with other men, to uh, learn to express his feelings, to learn to go through the grieving process. And we, we talked about that earlier. Um, one of the things that we see, well, life is... Filled with loss. I mean, you know, you lose your pet. You, you know, you uh, you lose a girlfriend. You lose a job. But as, the longer you live, the more losses that you've had in your life. And it's normal to go through a grieving process when it comes to losses. It's not normal to get stuck in them and to never work through and to stay depressed and become suicidal and so on. So it's important to give yourself permission. To experience uh, the stages of grief, you know, Kubler Ross has talked a lot about the five stages of grief. You know, the denial, the anger, the depression, the acceptance, and so on. And it would be nice to say that people go through those at the same time in the same way uh, very quickly, but everybody's different. And I think when it comes to retirement, a lot of what you uh, the enjoyment you might get out of retirement can can be lost if you are in a severe going through a severe grieving process um, and don 't be afraid to seek some help uh, and i don 't mean drugs you know drugs are not going to help the process, but giving yourself permission to talk to people that can really help you through that and for many of us, it might be family, it might be friends it doesn 't necessarily have to be professionals, it may be a support group. Um, but give yourself the permission to to do that and work through that grieving process, and I think that uh, the more effectively you're able to do that, um, the more enjoyment you can get out of life, out of your retirement, and um, and uh, much better things will be for you.
0: And that's true if you're 20 years away from oh, retirement. Yeah. I mean, exactly, exactly. Because we're going to experience losses no matter yeah. what we think or say mm-hmm. or do. I mean, I, I think back to. Three years ago, my dad died. Sure, he was battling cancer for several years, and mm-hmm. I look at the quality of my mother's life now, and in a lot of ways, uh, she hasn't gotten over his right. loss and right. is still grieving, and it's taking its toll on her health. Sure, and uh, and frankly, her sisters around her.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, um, and you're right, we handle it differently.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What What would you suggest as a way to learn more about dealing with these losses? Because it's true, we, we lose friends uh, in mm-hmm. today's politically charged environment. I witnessed at mm-hmm. a Rotary Club, sure. not mine, but a club I was visiting, two guys arguing so loudly mm-hmm. and with profanity over political mm-hmm. issues right now that they they stomped away angry. Mm-hmm. And I'm told that even now they won't even speak to each other. And this, this happened two months ago. Mm-hmm. Two months ago. So we're, we're becoming so polarized yeah. in different areas. So I, what what advice would you have for, to keep, I don't want to say protect ourselves, but to put ourselves in a way of where we don't become guilty of being the cause of that, or mm-hmm. if we receive that, we can, can get over it fairly quickly and not worry about it.
1: Well, I think several things <clears throat> come to mind. Um, I think one is... Um, uh, the The whole notion of empathy. Uh, empathy is so critical in everything that we do in life, and being able to put yourself in someone else's shoes. And uh, again, without getting uh, uh, political, um, before you speak, before you yell at somebody for being, well, whatever you want to call them, um, try to under try to understand where they're coming from. And a lot of times, it comes from fear. Um, People might be afraid of immigrants, for instance, because they're afraid that their way of life, uh, their income um, is, is threatened. So a lot of times people react, perhaps through prejudice and so on, out of a fear. So I would say really work to try to hear what is behind those words, to really try to understand the, uh, the other person rather than just yelling at them. And I think that's one of the things that's most missing in the discourse and why we see the the issues being so so apart. Um, Because I think, well, again, I'm very involved with Rotary, Rotary Youth Exchange, and uh, we have uh, so many uh, international high school students that come uh, to Florida and the United States from other countries, and, and we send them overseas and everything. And I think one of the things that we learn from, uh, having exchange programs and so on, or traveling internationally is we learn that there is a lot more. Uh, that's similar among us than there are differences. Right. No matter where you travel. That's right. Exactly. That deep down, now that while the governments may be at loggerheads with each other, if you relate to the people in that country, the parents there are interested in the same things that we are. Yeah. They want their great kids to grow up to healthy, productive citizens, um, just like we do. And so once you begin to you know empathize and identify and understand things from their perspective, then it's harder to, to, to encapsulate them in being uh, this kind of uh, uh, person and so on. You be- begin to see them as more of a, Human, And that's what we're after is to to, uh, foster those kind of ties. And I think empathy and taking the time to really understand and really listen. I mean, I always like to say God gave us two ears and one mouth because he wants us to listen twice as much as we talk. Unfortunately, in today's society, you know, it's a matter of I want to, not just I want to talk, but I want to out yell you. And whoever's the loudest yeller is who is who gets paid attention to. And to me, a much greater uh, characteristic that I'd like to see for everybody is that we take a lot more time to slow down and really listen to what the other person is saying. Good advice.
0: I want to share something that happened back in 1992. Pat and I we're going to take a trip to Paris? Mm-hmm. We were told how everybody in France are going to be so rude and obnoxious mm-hmm. and all this to America. Exactly. We experienced none of that. Exactly. None. Exactly. In fact, we had people going out of their way to guide us when yep. we were on the wrong train one yep. day. And 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 I thought about another experience back in the seventies, going to mm-hmm. New York City for the first time. Yep. Back in seventy-eight, I think it was seventy-eight or seventy-nine. Sure. Same thing. Oh, mm-hmm. they're going to be so rude. I was so lost. I was on the wrong subway. And this guy looks at me and he says, Sir, where are you trying to go? Mm-hmm. And I told him, I said, I'm trying to go to 253 mm-hmm. Broadway, right near City Hall. He's here on the wrong train. <laughs> so he's trying to explain to me what the. Sure. Day, and, and here's what he said He said, I got time. Come with me. He would get off the train. Mm-hmm. He takes him over to the proper uh, mm-hmm. turnstile. Right. He drops in two tokens, goes with me. He goes, he gets on the next train. Takes me back to City Hall. He said, mm-hmm. City Hall, your building would be mm-hmm. to the left somewhere. Mm-hmm. He said, enjoy your time in New York City. And and all I remember, the first name was Bob. I wish I had, so many times I wish I'd gotten his name and address and kept in touch. Sure. But there is an example of not only empathy, but Mm -hmm. also expectation. Yeah. If I expect you to be Mm -hmm. angry, that's probably what I'm going to get. Exactly. Because I'm going to send off vibes that I'm
1: expecting that. That's right. That's right.
0: That's right. But if I'm expecting that you're going to be nice and friendly, Mm -hmm. and you're going to be my new friend... Mm -hmm. And I'm reminded of a quote that's attributed to Abraham Lincoln.
1: Mm-hmm. He said, "I do not
0: like that man. I should get to know him." <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, a lot of wisdom in that. So, you know, I think uh, to help um, diffuse that kind of um, uh, that kind of escalation and tension and so on, really try to listen to the person, and if you can reflect to that person. What you hear them saying, boy, you sound like you're really afraid that da 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 da. Or you, you know. And the more we can identify the feeling word behind what the person's saying, the more they feel understood. The more that lowers their tension, uh, because so many of us feel like nobody hears us, nobody understands us, and that's that's really critical in any relationship in life. And uh, um, Certainly, when we're talking about retirement, uh, and we're talking about men having difficulty um, when they lose uh, their job, lose those relationships they have at work, you know, begin to form those elsewhere, and and the more you're able to do that when you get away from work, then the, the more successful your retirement is going to be. So use those uh, use those skills that you developed over all those years in, in work. To uh, develop new ones, and that's one of the exciting things about retirement. You get a chance to try some different things, to develop some skills that you may not have had, to form some new relationships. Uh, the f- the friendships that I've developed through scouting and through Rotary and through my church and so on have been extremely enriching to me, right. and I wouldn't want not want to trade them for anything else. And that can be the same thing as for someone. Uh, looking forward to retirement. And you can't start too soon to begin to develop those kinds of things. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, in fact, I, I would argue that if you wait until retirement to pursue yeah. those, you're going to be very unhappy in exactly. retirement. Exactly, certainly, no question. But if you'll start pursuing those well before, uh, I keep three books on that shelf. One is Kirk Douglas's book, he's 101. Mm-hmm. George Burns book, he died at age 100. And mm-hmm. Betty White, She died, she's still working yeah. the, at 96 years right, old. Right, right. And I keep those as role models because when people say when you're going to retire, uh, <laughs> I never retire. Now I want to do more of the things that I want to do, sure. and not feel like I have to come to work every exactly. day. Exactly. But I don't. I don't want to stop doing what I'm mm-hmm. doing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like you said earlier: no, no plans, no desire to retire, as long as you're bringing value and helping yeah. people. Yeah, yeah. and we're both we're both doing counseling work. Mm-hmm. Mine's counseling regarding sure. Well, it's not just financial. A lot of times I feel like I am the psychologist, psychiatrist, <laughs> lawyer,
1: accountant, all sure. bundled into one. Exactly, you know? exactly. But right. um, and it's funny. Uh,
0: when I was a kid, I always thought I wanted to be first a school teacher, mm. then a preacher, mm. then a trial lawyer. Oh my! And I, I I'm convinced that I am in the right profession because I get to do, do all, all of. It. I'm teaching, I'm preaching, and I'm trying to persuade. Yeah, very good, very good. Uh, uh, Let's address something that uh, we haven't talked about, but I think is very important, and that is trust, Mm. having trust in ourselves and the people Mm -hmm. around us. Mm -hmm. Uh, We live in a world today that's become more and more untrusting, and and frankly, rightfully so. Mm -hmm. When you look at what's happening in the political world, the corporate world, Sure. sure. Address the importance of trust for a minute, especially in trusting yourself and seeking help with people that can guide you, that you have confidence in.
1: Well, trust is very critical in in anything that we do in life. Uh, If we don't, um, when we're born, uh, going as early as we possibly can, when we're born into this world, we have zero ability to take care of ourselves and we are 100% dependent On our parents. And no tears. Yeah, that's right. But let's say you cry when you're a baby and your parents come to you and they attend you. If you need to be changed, they change you. If you need to be fed, they feed you and so on. Um, You grow, and if that is the consistent pattern that happens, then you start to learn that I can trust this world. Uh, And and obviously, as we get older, we have to decide, well, who can we trust and and who we can't. But we're, we're born and we are totally dependent on our parents. And if they meet our needs, then we realize that we can trust and we can begin to trust. On the other hand, let's say that you're a baby and you cry and nobody comes. And you cry and nobody comes. And you cry and nobody comes. Or somebody comes and slaps you. So, what is your image of the world starting out there? You know that, that I can, I need things, but nobody is going to meet those needs, um, and then that's replicated in other things in your life and so on. So, trust is something that we is very critical from the from our very beginnings in life, and um, uh, the more it's replicated, that that we can trust people and they will meet our needs. Um, the more likely we are to trust other people. Now, again, it's a lifelong process of learning to trust. And sometimes we're going to get burned. And sometimes we get burned and we may not want to trust anybody for a while. But hopefully we learn that, well, the only way to go through life uh, like that is to be a rock. And, um, you know, it's not much fun being a rock <laughs> that we've got to get out there and we've got to take some risks and so on. And what we our parents and people who care about us need to help us do is to help advise us on who to trust and who not to trust. Sometimes we'll listen to them, sometimes we won't. Sometimes we're going to be headstrong and we're just going to rush ahead and we're going to make some bad decisions and we hope that that helps us to learn what to look for more carefully in the future. And that's true in any relationship, employers, uh, spouses. I mean, geez, one of the most important decisions you make in your lifetime is who you want to marry and uh, um, who you want to be friends with. Um, You know, at the Behavioral Health Center, you know, one (laughs) of the things that we see a lot of young people in our adolescent unit there because they have... um, you know, maybe a, a girl trusted a guy, and then he goes, runs around with uh, with her best friend. Uh, and, you know, that's very serious trust. And, and just imagine how hard it's going to be for her to trust another guy in a relationship or if she's been abused in a relationship. It's going to take that much more effort to ever be able to trust again. So trust is is very, very critical. I mean, it's, it's set in place from our uh, initial relationship with our parents. But it's, it's a lifelong um, uh, endeavor. We can never get to the point of saying that, well, you know, I can always trust these people and so on. It's unfortunate that there are people who will take advantage of you, you know, with all the identity theft. And, mm-hmm. and um, people are just have so many more creative ways to take advantage of you. Right. And certainly those <clears throat> who are um, retired who may have um, saved a lot of money and so on, uh, they're going to be a target, a magnet, for people who are going to try to take advantage of them. And maybe when they they need some care, I mean, you read about it in the newspaper all the time, somebody who offers to help take care of them, to be a friend for them, to handle uh, duties for them, and they take advantage of that, and they take them Mm -hmm. for millions, thousands of dollars.
0: Would you believe that in our world, the training we get, We actually are trained by some of the financial regulatory bodies Mm -hmm. on what to look for. Sure. So that if we see or suspect that somebody is being taken advantage of, Mm -hmm. and sadly, it's usually, as you just pointed out, either a family member or a close friend who's doing it. Mm -hmm. It's not some total stranger. So we have to to take classes each year to be on the alert, if you Mm -hmm. will. Uh, Or if we see somebody who maybe they're not able to make a decision, contact a family member i am concerned about your mother or your father or whatever. And that's a tough call.
1: Well, and it's it's (coughs) interesting that you bring that up because I, I mentioned that I am a neuropsychologist. And so part of what I do is neuropsychological testing to help identify whether or not someone may be experiencing dementia. And, you know, the greatest risk factor for dementia is getting older. Well, getting older still beats the alternative of not getting older. Yes, yeah, sure, sure But, um, you know, the older you live, uh, now it's not inevitable that everybody will have Alzheimer's or anything like that, but certainly the risk increases. Um, uh, and fortunately, there we know more about that whole process than we did 20 years ago. And 20 years from now, we will know even more. And I'm, I'm hopeful that within our lifetime, there will be a cure for Alzheimer's. Actually, I'm going to be part of a drug study that's um, looking at a very positive um, um, so possibility. Are you, are you there, s- taking drugs, well, well <laughs> <going>? <laughs> no, I'm going to be testing people who are, but, uh, oh, okay. <laughs> but, uh, but. So, what I I think one of the important things for uh, your listeners to be aware of is that. Um, uh, whether it be them, a spouse, a family member, as they get older, if you start to see some cognitive issues, um, uh, have them checked out. Certainly, first of all, I would have them um, uh, have them uh, alert their physician go to their physician and there are some kind of screening things that the physician could do to help begin to identify if there was some cognitive uh, decline there. Um, there also are neuropsychologists and neurologists that can do uh, assessments that could begin to identify um, how severely impaired someone might be and whether or not there may be um, areas in their life that they should not be making decisions And maybe there needs to be a power of attorney to help them make certain decisions and so on. So all I'm saying is that, you know, certainly if you see in yourself or someone else uh, some cognitive decline, check it out and make sure that a person is not going to be taken advantage of um,
0: uh, otherwise. I'm glad you discussed that because we've had several cases in the last few years where it was almost like, Divine intervention in that we were able to get people to go see an attorney, mm-hmm. get their legal documents done, mm-hmm. get the durable power of attorney in place before a stroke occurred sure. or some other yeah. health issue. Yeah. And we thought about it several times as a team. We go, wow, you know, that we can't take credit for that because there was a timing issue of getting mm-hmm. people motivated who had for years wouldn't do it mm-hmm. I'm thinking of a couple mm-hmm. now where every time I would discuss it with him he would get angry mm-hmm. I mean angry one day was just cussing at me he said I don't mm-hmm. want to deal with any mm-hmm. blank, blank lawyers mm-hmm. but when he was ready he was ready mm-hmm. and we took advantage of it got him in front of the attorney mm-hmm. got it all done 90 days later the man suffered a stroke Yeah, yeah. and everything was in order Yeah, everything was in order and he's since has passed away but this lady has been able to Mm -hmm. You carry on
1: well, and I think it gets back to what you were talking about with the whole issue of trust. What we were talking about earlier, and I think when you have developed a relationship with your clients, and they have seen that you have worked very hard to help prepare them for their financial uh, future in retirement and so on, if you develop that level of trust, you might be in a very important uh, position to advise them about those kinds of things or their spouse or whatever. And there certainly there may be some initial pushback, sure. but, but don't be afraid of that. And don't be afraid to um, uh, encourage them to do what's needed in um, in getting that identified. And, and if there's nothing, well, that's fine. It may be a temporary thing, but if it's something that's going to be more serious and more long-lasting, then it's best to prepare for it and take the proper steps to deal with it good advice
0: Uh, as we wind down here let's talk about this for a moment you made a comment earlier about the importance of goal setting and Mm. the the image I don't want to leave that because (laughs) we both have talked about the importance of visualizing and imaging sure spend a moment on that please
1: okay Um, all of us need to set you know we don't want to just wait till New Year's Eve to set a goal for our life we should be continually setting goals financial goals employment goals relationship goals Uh, Whatever. We always always need to be setting goals. Half the battle in accomplishing a goal is to actually be able to visualize yourself accomplishing that goal. And before I've used the analogy of a golfer, and if if you're having to hit a a ball uh, over all water, if it's me, I'm going to imagine the ball going in the water. Mm -hmm. Uh, A professional is going to imagine it landing on the green and going in the hole. Um, So if you really. Um, If you can't form an image of yourself in a successfully accomplishing your goal, you're you're doomed not to meet it. So imagine that. Uh, Imagine what life is going to be like when when you're retired and you're free to do the kinds of things that give you the most satisfaction in life. So picture that. What's that going to be like? What's your day going to be like? Um, what are your relationships going to be like? Uh, who are you going to be spending time with? Where are you going to be spending time? The more you can visualize that and you can describe that to someone else, the more likely that is to happen. So forming that image is very important in any goal setting, uh, whether it be, um, I, I remember working with a woman one time who was going to have a bariatric uh, bypass surgery, uh, she was morbidly obese. And her goal was to be able to walk around Lake Ella with her child, be just without being in pain, the pain that she has so much uh, weight on her knees that was so painful. So being able to form that image of what it was going to be like mm-hmm. uh, walking around there and the look on her daughter's face and everything is what helped her give the, um, uh, uh, the, the motivation to actually make that happen. When I had heart
0: surgery... Ten years ago, there was a guy in the room next to me who had the same Mm -hmm. procedure, triple bypass. He was so angry, throwing things at Mm -hmm. the nurses and other staff. matter of fact, the the same doctor Mm -hmm. asked me, would you please, when you're taking a walk, invite this guy to join you? I said, sure, what's up? And he told me. And he did. Finally, he got out of bed and took Mm -hmm. a walk. But the first time we were taking a walk, he was focusing on... uh, all the problems. Yeah, there was nothing to look forward to. And he's like, right. "Why are you so happy?" I said, "Because I'm not dead. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the surgery worked. Exactly. I That's mean, exactly. I, I'm able to get exactly. up I'm, exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm white as a sheet. Yeah. And I, I walked ten feet. I thought I was going to yeah. pass out. Yeah. 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 But at least I'm moving. Exactly. And I finally yeah. got the guy laughing and we're talking. Sure. And then he looked forward to, to mm-hmm. walking three or four mm-hmm. times a day. Mm-hmm. But I. But I was, uh, as you were talking about, the importance of the goals and imaging, mm-hmm. that popped in my head because I think about <clears throat> there are times when I'll dwell on the negative side, and I've gotten pretty good at quickly saying, stop, mm-hmm. stop, don't mm-hmm. go there, mm-hmm. and then get out. And I'm convinced that people who are happiest and most successful in life, they have the ability, like a, <coughs> like a pro golfer, a ball goes into water, mm-hmm. they don't dwell <clears throat> on that right. shot. It's over. That that's was right. That's behind change me, that? what's coming forward. Exactly. Next. Because mm-hmm. and I think that helps also a lot with the loss and the grieving. Yeah. Now there's also a line you you have to understand you couldn't become so callous and become, you know, arrogant about it. But the longer we dwell on stuff mm-hmm. I call it the downward spiral. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there there must be merit to that from the psychological mm-hmm. training mm-hmm. standpoint and counseling, because
1: some people just want to
0: dwell on the negatives. Well some there, people can't help it. Yeah.
1: Um Bad things are going to happen in life. Bad things are going to happen. That's just part of life. And some things will be much more traumatic than others. Um, and, but we all can make decisions. We can decide, you know, we can't decide if something bad is going to happen to us. I mean, a lot of times things just happen, uh, not for any fault of our own. We have an accident because somebody else was drunk and wrote, wrote, ran into us. But what we can make decisions on is, Do we want to continue to be a victim or do we want to move on with our life? And there are people who make decisions to be... They've had bad things happen in their life. They were abused. They were molested and so on. And certainly they didn't deserve that. But the longer you make the decision to be a victim, the longer you're putting your life on hold. So when you make the decision to not be a victim to make the best out of a situation, to move forward with your life uh, positively, then the sooner you are to be able to move on and accomplish the things that you really do need to accomplish and want to accomplish and deserve to accomplish.
0: Let me tell you an area we see that a lot. <clears throat> we see people who lost money in 2008 when the market crashed. Mm-hmm. Sure. And they've made good decisions since then. Some have made poor decisions yeah. by parking their money in, sure. out of fear because yeah. fear is yeah. a big, big, oh, powerful yeah. 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 Uh, issue. But... The people that seem to be doing well now mm-hmm. are those who say, okay, yes, I lost money. The market's very mm-hmm. high now. I could lose money again, mm-hmm. so I'm going to protect some of that money. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be, live in fear with it. Right. Whereas others, no matter where they are, mm-hmm. if the market's high, they worry about it crashing. If the market's low, they're worried about when it's going to come back yeah. up. So so what you just said about that's somewhat being a victim, isn't it? Yeah. I'm allowing my loss from yeah. before of 2008 Yes. To keep me from doing the things I need to do today, mm-hmm. to be able to make better decisions, yeah. and I never thought of it that way, but that—that yeah. that is being a victim, isn't it? Yeah,
1: it is. It is, and um, there are a lot of things in life to be afraid of. But if we live our life based on all of those fears, then we never move forward. We have no life. We have no life. That's right. Exactly. So wow, <clears throat> um, we have to make that. We have to make a decision to step forward. You know, not recklessly. Obviously, but to listen to the advice around us. Obviously, those who didn't listen to your advice and uh, uh, took all of their money out of stocks are regretting it now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And you can always say i told you so, but, uh, but you would not do that. I would not do
0: that. That would not be very empathetic. <laughs> no, it, was, it would definitely not be <laughs> or empathetic. Or sympathetic either. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm looking at, at that computer screen. We've been talking for 43 minutes. Oh, my. This, is, uh, this has been a fantastic uh, interview. Uh, I'm hoping we can do this again sometime Certainly. and
2: expand a little bit deeper. Sure. And
0: Larry Kubiak, I thank you so much. Well, my pleasure. Thank
2: you. Thank you. All right. Thank you. If you would like to know more about John Curry services, you can request a complimentary information package by visiting johnhcurry.com slash podcast. Again, that is johnhcurry.com slash podcast, or you can call his office at 850-562-3000. Again, that is 850-562-3000. John H. Curry, Chartered Life Underwriter, Charter Financial Consultant, Accredited Estate Planner, Master's in Science and Financial Services, Certified in Long-Term Care, Registered Representative and Financial Advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC. Securities products and services and advisory services are offered through Park Avenue Securities, a registered broker-dealer and investment advisor, Financial Representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. Park Avenue Securities is an indirect, wholly-owned subsidiary of Guardian. North Florida Financial Corporation is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Park Avenue Securities. Park Avenue Securities is a member of FINRA and SIPC. This material is intended for general public use. By providing this material, we are not undertaking to provide investment advice for any specific individual or situation or to otherwise act in a fiduciary capacity. Please contact one of our financial professionals for guidance and information specific to your individual situation. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, or employees do not provide legal, tax, or accounting advice. Please consult with your attorney, accountant, and or tax advisor for advice concerning your particular circumstances, not affiliated with the Florida Retirement System. The Living Balance Sheet and the Living Balance Sheet logo are registered service marks of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York, copyright 2005 through 2018. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities or Guardian, and opinions stated are their own.